It's a topic that's discovered throughout the whole of God's word, but the culture really continues to attack it. It's been attacked from the beginning of time, from the creation of Adam and Eve, and it's been a very relentless attack. And it's called, uh, the title is called Identity. And of course, in our, the times that we're living in today, <clears throat> it seems like everything's under attack. Uh, gender identity is under attack. Political identity is, is, a, is a, a lot of hostility in that. And just you name it, there's just uh, even religious identities and you know, social identities. It's just everything seems like it's under attack. It seems, you know, my question to, if I could just have one question for the whole world to hear at the same time and to give me an answer is why do we all have to believe and think the same thing in order for us to get along with one another? But it just seems like there's such, there's such a <clears throat> animosity towards uh, differences today and that we seem, well, if you're not going to be like me and I'm not going to be like you, therefore we just can't get along. You know, that's, you know we, we're striving for the unity of the faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The Bible has a clear mandate, a clear standard for who we are in Christ Jesus, what our identity is as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's who we want, that is what we want to be cultivating in our lives rather than getting caught up in the cultural warfare that's taking place. We're not going to win a cultural warfare, but we are winners in Christ Jesus. And so to come right down and to really discover who we are in Jesus Christ, what is our true, our true identity? And where are we going to discover that true identity? What's our source for discovering that? And so today I want to begin just laying some groundwork, gave you some uh, scripture for you to consider, uh, to begin meditating on and just become familiar with them and, and, and begin to incorporate that in, into your mindset. Like I mentioned, culture is relentless in trying to convince us that, uh, that if we would find the right relationship, that if we work really hard and, and even with the help of plastic surgery and you know, keep up our appearances and, and we strive for success, we will live happy and fulfilled lives and we'll discover who we really are. The truth is, chasing after all the vanities that the world has to offer, all those kinds of things will only lead us to despair and emptiness in our soul if we don't first and foremost have our true identity established as to who we are as, as a creation of Almighty God, and especially as Christ followers, because the Bible makes it very clear that we are a new creation. And we have we received a new identity when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So in Christ is where we find our true identity as to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, put it like this. We are who God declares us to be and who Jesus has made us to be, period. That's who we are. That's who we are. We have no other identity. So our primary effort for personal development must be to accept who we are in Christ Jesus. Accepting who we are in Christ Jesus. Identity theft is also a major concern in our, in our lives today, in our, in our culture, in our military, and just in our electronic digital world of transactions and businesses, uh, in our social culture. Identity theft is, is a real issue that a lot of uh, Research and finances has been poured into that, and that's all well and fine. But I want you to know that first and, first and foremost, the most important identity that you can lock up for yourself is who am I 
in Christ Jesus? Who has God declared me to be? What has he spoken over my life? And not to allow Satan to cast doubt on the authority of God's words that he has spoken over me. Let's just look at some basic scriptures from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Laying some groundwork here for this today. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, etc., etc. But notice God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So uh, I want you to, in verse 27, this God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. So we have been created in the image and in the likeness of God. Then you get into this, uh, chapter 2 of Genesis. I want you to look at verse 15. Then the Lord uh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so God gave man, made man in his likeness, in his image, and he told them to be in the garden, to cultivate it, to tend it, to be fruitful, knows to be in charge of it, to take responsibility for it. And not long after that, we get into chapter 3, and I want you to notice in beginning at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the, tree of the, garden, of, of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die in direct opposition of what God spoke. Now, notice verse 5. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be, you will be, you will be like God. Now, wait a minute. Didn't God just say, let us make man in our likeness, in our image? And then says, God created man in his image, in his likeness. So they, Adam and Eve were already in the likeness and in the image of God. Their identity already was one of being Lord, kings, and priests. They were like God. They were to rule and to reign on the earth. Here Satan comes and just with a little subtle twist of verbiage, he says, you know, if you eat this, you'll become like God. So that deception comes in there, and what it is, it's, it's immediately beginning to challenge their identity. Their identity was in the very likeness of God, yet Satan is saying, if you'll do this, you'll become like God. You'll be wise. You'll be all-knowing. The same temptations are lurking even today, trying to get us to do things and to believe things and to say things that are contrary to what God has spoken about us and with, with the idea that if, if, we'll, if we'll do this, we'll be humble and we'll become, more, more, we'll become holier and we become more righteous and we, we're constantly striving to become things that God's word has declared we already are. Amen. Yes. Amen. If you're trying to become anything, become who you are. Yes. Work on becoming who you are. 
Amen? Who God has declared you to be. So Satan, from the very beginning of, in, in the Word of God, is casting doubt on the authority of God's Word. Adam and Eve were already in the likeness of God, and, and it's important that you understand that, that the moment that you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you were made a brand new creation. Old things were uh, passed away, and behold, all things were made brand new. So don't fall for any lie, any religious programming or teaching that was saying, well, you need to do uh, step one, step two, and step three to become like this, this particular outcome, when the outcome has already been declared by God to be true about you. And not only were Adam and Eve challenged by Satan, but in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is in the garden, Satan comes to Jesus, and he has the audacity to even thinking that he could tempt Jesus to, to yield to him, but it didn't work. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But I want you to notice there again in verse 3, look at that second. He said, if you are the son of God, if, everyone say if. Yes. Was, do you, was Jesus the son of God? Yes. He was the son of God. Is he the son of God? Yes. So what's, what's the word if in there? Can you see the, subtle, the subtlety of language there? Yes. If. If, like if you were to come up to me and talk to me and say, you know, if you're the pastor of the church, what do you mean if I'm the pastor of the church? <laughs> what happened? Did I miss a vote? <laughs> Did something take place that I'm not aware of? You know, if you are. So he, even tempting Jesus, that if you are the son of God, in verse 6 it's repeated, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. So even Jesus had to deal with the identity challenge, the challenge for his identity in thinking that, well, perhaps I'm not really the son of God. Perhaps I'm not Adam. Perhaps I'm not Eve. Perhaps I don't have authority to rule and to reign in the garden. Perhaps it's not true that I'm sustained, you know, to, to not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Perhaps that's not even true. And, you know, just casting all those, planting those seats of doubt in, 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 in the mind is, is how the whole identity thing begins to work. In John chapter 8, there's a, I refer to this particular chapter as the, the smear campaign against Jesus. They're just coming against him relentlessly, just challenging his identity in John chapter 8. And all Jesus is doing is he's just making it known that the truth will set you free, letting them know about uh, who he is and that we are Abraham's seed and he's telling them that they're, they are, they're, they're not of Abraham's seed or they would believe him and so forth. And so this whole debate is going back and forth between the religious people and Jesus and they're just having a really, really difficult time accepting Jesus, communicating to them about who he is. He's telling that before Abraham was, I am, and boy, that just put them over the edge. They just really, they, they could not handle that. And you say, you know, you're not even 50 years old, and you say you knew Abraham? He's <laughs> like, you know, he's been dead a long time ago. But anyway, they're just having a really, really difficult time with believing this, and, and then eventually they end up just being really, really cynical about this and, and just really come against him. Matter of fact, in verse 41, you know, when they just finally had enough of it, they start getting really personal. 
chapter 8, verse 41. It says, you do the deeds of your father. Uh, then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father. You know, it's implying there that he was born outside of a marriage covenant relationship. Said, we're, you know, you know, you're not even a legitimate child. It's the way they were, they were, they were accusing his identity. They could not com comprehend and conceive the fact that, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And so that's where this, you know, this whole smear campaign begins. Then in verse 53, it says, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Or today they'd probably say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You are declaring these bold, audacious statements about who you are, that, that you are the son of God, that before Abraham was, you were there. And, you know, how can that be? Abraham and the prophets, they died many years ago. How can this be true? Who are you declaring yourself to be? And, folks, the enemy is no less relentless in our lives today. When we begin to... Uh, Say, okay, I'm going to believe my identity as, as a Christ follower. My identity is established in the word of God. And when we begin to profess that and we begin to walk in that and we begin to uh, have our lives being transformed to this reality, and especially when we begin to, uh, to live it out and we begin to speak it out, people will come against us and, and are coming against us in very similar language of saying, well, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. As a matter of fact, a fun exercise to practice sometime is just begin introducing yourself to people as, hello there, I'm a child of God. Instead of, hello there, I'm Pastor Ray Sensenick. I pastor Grace Fellowship Church in Shillington, Pennsylvania, and I'm married and I have children and, you know, just, you know, all these other things that we use to establish our identity in our culture. We want our names. We want our families. We want our vocation. We, we, we quickly add all these things as to who we are and what we're doing is we're establishing an identity. Nothing wrong with the identity, that particular identity, but if that's what's sustaining you and you don't have the identity solidified as to who you are in Christ Jesus, then your natural identity is on shaky ground. So we want to begin to establish our identity on who we are in Christ Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. Nothing wrong with your goals, your titles, your degrees, and et cetera. Go for it. Go for whatever God has put before you. But first and foremost, lay the foundation of who I am in Christ Jesus. It's of utmost importance. It is the sure foundation whereupon I am building my life. You know, this one I'm challenging all of us to do is to begin to accept God's opinion of you. Is that all right? Yeah. See, I can have an opinion of you. Sometimes it's good, and I can communicate it with you, and sometimes I may have an opinion that's best kept to myself. And you likewise. You have an opinion that, well, he's really preaching good today, or you may have an opinion like, well, where is he going with this? You know, like, it's a nice summer day. Can't we get out of here? <laughs> we will get out of here. Sooner than you know. So accepting God's view of yourself. Let me give you some basic foundational scriptures. Colossians chapter 1. I say basic foundation, but, you know, 
If you're not familiar with it, it may not be so basic, but I want you to make them basic. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look at uh, verse 21 and 22. These are declarations about us. Verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now. Everyone say, yet now. Yet now. When is yet now? Yeah. Now. It's not tomorrow, is it? No, it's not yesterday, it's now. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you. How did he present you? Say it with me. Holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. His sight, his view of you, his opinion of you is what matters. His declaration of you is all that really matters. It is, it is first and foremost the foundation of your identity. So according to this particular verse right here, that he has reconciled you. It's a past tense reality. You have been reconciled to him, and in his sight you are presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. In the second chapter, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now stop allowing people to cheat you out of your true identity. And even more so than allowing other people to do it, is don't allow the enemy to cheat you out of, your, uh, out of your true identity as to who you are in Christ Jesus. Beware of it, and don't let, don't let it, your identity be stolen from you. In verse 9, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are almost like him. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Someday, if you'll just strive. No, it says, and, you know, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are what? What are you? Complete. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. One more, Ephesians chapter 4, verse twenty. 3 and 24, Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God. Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a true righteousness and a true holiness. There's also a, a man-made tradition righteousness and holiness, a religious tradition and, and, and holiness, but we want to put on we want to put on true righteousness and true holiness. Notice we must accept God's view and opinion of us and reject all others. Any other view from any other source will produce distortion of your identity. It will produce distortion of your identity. There's more than, two, more than 200 times in the New Testament alone verses speak of, of God communicating to us our identity. 
over 200 verses communicating our identity of who we are in Christ Jesus. And primarily, they can be summed up like this. We are loved. We are accepted. We are the anointed. We are the righteous. We are filled with wisdom. We are healed. We are set free. And on and on and on it goes. Now, I want to close with this verse. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The New Living Translation reads like this. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and be able to live for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. My question for all of us today is, why should we consider ourselves this way? It says, likewise, you also consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider yourselves. Why should we do this? Why is this important? This is the reason this is so important that we begin to consider ourselves like this. First of all, the word consider there from the Greek language, it relates, I'm told it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an accountant term, which means to, to enter it into the ledger, take it into account, put it into the ledger, make the deposit. This is who you are. The reason you should consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the reason you should consider this and do this on a daily basis is this is how God sees us. And that's the way it is. God sees you as a born-again child of God. He sees you as dead to sin and alive unto him. Too many times we see ourselves as being in captivity, in bondage to sin, trying to become free, trying to be like him. But the Bible says, consider yourself, put it into the ledger sheet, make the deposit. It's a reality. It's yours. Consider it to be true. This is how God sees us, and that's the way it is. We must accept the way God sees us. We must learn to accept God's opinion, God's view of us, not our own, not other people's. How does God see me? He sees me as forgiven. He sees me as a new creation. Our challenge is is that we think and we say, yes, but how can I be saying that I have this particular issue in my life or I have this issue or I have this problem in my life or I, I, that, that can't be true about me. I can't be dead to sin because I'm tempted and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm constantly under assault and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly wrestling and so forth. And so that can't be true about me. That's our problem. That's our problem. We don't consider God's opinion or God's view to be real. And therefore, we never experience his version of reality. We take what we are thinking and what we are experiencing and what we are feeling, and we 
consider that to be a higher authority than what God's opinion and God's view of us is. When I get into introspection and I'm not in a good place and I start going into introspection, I can come up, I mean, I can be the scum of the earth. My opinion of myself, my view of myself. But that's not the view that matters. That's not the view that's reality. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I am dead to sin. I'm alive unto him. Amen. 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 I have been created in his likeness. That's who the real me is. I'm a born-again child of God. And so we, I must come to a place where I accept God's opinion, God's view to be the ultimate reality. His version is the ultimate reality. And I will only experience we will only experience what we consider to be true. So what are you considering to be true about yourself? You say, well, I don't know what I think about. I'm not sure what I think is true about myself. Well, I can tell you what you think is true about yourself. Would you like to know what you think about yourself? Yes. I can tell you what you think about yourself because I know. I have prophetic insight. Here's what you think about yourself, and here's what I think about myself. You think about yourself, and I think about myself, what I am saying about myself and what you are saying about yourself. So rule number one in establishing your identity, stop trash-talking yourself. And be good to also stop trash-talking other people. But let's, let's begin with ourselves. Let's not speak anything about our lives, about our being, about our persona, who we are in Christ Jesus. Let's not speak anything contrary to what God has declared us to be. Holy, blameless, without fault, true righteousness, true holiness. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. Amen? The apple of God's eye. Amen. So we want to consider this verse to be true. And when we do consider a verse like this, Romans 6, 11, to be true, we will be free from all other judgments regarding it, including our own. I am who God says I am, not because. Now listen to this. This is so important because you will keep wrestling with, well, how can he do that? Because I, I, I know my life. I know other people's lives, but I really know my own life. So how can I be saying these, these positive, wonderful things about myself? And, and, and how, how can God be making these declarations about me when I really know what's going on? What's up with this? Is God just a big softy? No, here's what happened. God, you are who God's word says you are, not because God overlooks or takes sin lightly. He didn't overlook it, but never ever forget that he did look upon it, and in his love and in his compassion, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners in Christ, having died for us at Calvary's cross. Jesus died at the cross of Calvary, and he paid the price for our sin. So stop thinking that your sin changes your identity when the fact is God paid for it. He settled the issue, and he's the one that declared you to be true in righteousness and in true holiness. He's the one that declared you are now dead to sin. You are now alive unto righteousness. 
righteousness in Christ Jesus. That is your true identity. Not because God is overlooking it. Not because we overlook it. Not because I, I'm, I, I don't take my mistakes casually and think, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm a child of God. No, it does matter. Jesus paid the price for it, and I ought not to be doing that anymore. Jesus paid the price, and I should not be stuck here any longer. Jesus paid the price, and I'm going to get in here and find out, quote, he paid the price. What did he pay? What is the ramifications of it? What are the benefits of it? And I see it in the Word of God that I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. I've been created again in true righteousness, in true holiness, without fault, blameless child of God. That is who I am. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. That is our true identity as born again children of the Most High God. Amen. Born again. If you don't know where to start, when you're wrestling with this and you don't know where to start, just begin with, no, I'm born again. Satan, that is a lie. I'm born again. Don't come at me with that if you are a Christian, if you are true holiness, if you are true righteousness, then why did you think this? Why did you say that? Why did you make this mistake? Just tell him to shut up. I'm a born again child of God. My sins are forgiven. I have the mind of Christ. I have the wisdom of God. And I have the ultimate victory in Jesus' name. Just begin, begin somewhere, but stop, stop discrediting who you really are. Stop saying anything contrary to what God's word declares about you to be true. You are a child of God. You're forgiven. You're loved. You have, Jesus has been made wisdom unto you. I mean, it's just, the word of God is just filled with good stuff. We have a tendency to gloss over it. It's like, well, that can't be true about me. It must be true about Pastor Ray, but it can't be true about me. No, it's true about all of us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning that we are alive to you in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not in and of ourselves, but it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that we have been forgiven, that you did not uh, just go soft on humanity and say, well, you know, they're just a mess. I'll just ignore it, and I'll just call them blessed and righteous and so forth. But no, you paid the ultimate price, your only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that Jesus paid it all. And that we are free, for he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, Father, I pray for each one of us in here today that we can leave here today beginning with the uh, mind exercises of, of just defeating every falsehood that the enemy would try to plant in our minds, guarding, setting a guard over our tongue and not agreeing with the enemy and not saying negative, contrary things about ourselves when we begin to speak blessings over our lives in, in, in all humility according to your word, Father. We thank you and we give you honor and glory. And Father, I thank you for the helmet of salvation that we always put on that helmet and we protect our mind from the onslaughts, from the, from the deceitful uh, uh, arrows that the enemy is shooting at us that are laced with the words, if you really are, or who do you think you are, or they, they, they no longer penetrate. They no longer have the ability to, to, to penetrate and, and to set up a stronghold. But Lord God, from this day on, we are free in Jesus' name. 
thanking you, Lord God, thanking you, Father, that your word clearly states that you've been made wisdom unto us and that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but you have given us a spirit of power, the spirit of love and the spirit of a sound mind, that your love has been deposited into our heart by your Holy Spirit. Father, we cherish those verses, those promises, and we purpose to meditate on those and, and, and to have our mind renewed and thereby our lives being transformed and come into complete conformity of what your word declares about us to be true in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.